It's podcasting time. I am Jonathan Isaacson, and this is Dispatches from Japan, the podcast where I tell you stuff about Japan that you probably don't know. Um, I mean, I don't know you personally, so maybe you know some of this, but hopefully I can teach you something new. That's my goal here. Um, Yeah. And uh, yeah, if you aren't subscribed to the podcast already, what are you doing with your life? I don't understand. You should be subscribed. You're listening to this. You obviously found it on Spotify, Apple, you know, Apple Podcasts, somewhere like that. Subscribe. You know the deal. Rate, review. That'd be nice, too, if you got a minute or two. Uh, It doesn't take long to review. You know, just, you know, click on the five stars and you're done. Boom. One second. Uh, Review. You can do it in under a minute. The podcast is great. Boom. There you go. You're done. Do it now. Anywho, let's go. So today we have a historical tale, um, largely a biographical sketch. Um, in the story, we got some anarchist ideology, uh, love, tri- not triangles, love quadrilaterals, I guess it'd be. I and mean, let's just say it's complicated. And what else we got? Oh, yeah, we got government censorship, a surprise appearance by the British philosopher and polymath Bertrand Russell. And probably not really all that surprisingly, there is an untimely and unfortunately rather violent death. So I hope that has got your interest and let's get into it. Now, in 1895, uh, January 21st to be specific, and hey, who doesn't love specificity? I know I do. Anyway, January 21st, 1895, a girl was born, and her name was Ito Noe. Now, just a quick note, for this pot, for today's episode, for this episode of the podcast, for some reason I've decided, I don't know why, I'm going to use people's given names. So Ito Noe, Noe is her given name, Ito is her family name, right? So Japanese name order usually goes, uh, usually always goes, family name, given name. So I'm going to be using their given names. When you when I say them the first time, I'll give the full names, obviously. But the names I'm going to be calling people, primarily, I'm going to be using their given names. Why? I don't know. I just felt like it. Anyway, Noe. So Noe was the firstborn daughter of a middle-class family in Fukuoka, which is down in the southwestern part of Japan. In all, there were seven kids in her family. Um, she had two older brothers and then four younger siblings. I couldn't find a list of how many brothers, how many sisters, because apparently no one cares about younger siblings. Um Anyway, seven kids in her family. She's the third and the oldest daughter. Third overall, oldest daughter. And obviously seven sounds like a lot here in in modern times, but, you know, back in the late 1800s, early 1900s, not really that strange. Um, So her father had been a merchant um, of some sort, um, and... But by the time that Noe was born, the family business had gone belly up, and her father became a 
decorative roof tile artisan, which apparently really that was a thing. Um, but apparently he was also a bit of a jerk um, who was kind of full of himself and didn't actually do very much work as a tile making artisan. Um, so Noe's mother, she worked odd jobs to keep the family afloat. And even though the family had been reasonably well off before Noe was born, um, it sounds like that by the time she was born, you know, things didn't really, they didn't stay well off, right? Things were a little bit tough around, you know, the family life by the time she's born in 1895. Um, but, uh, all the same, Noe was able to go to school, which, you know, not, you know, that's not a small thing in 1890, you know, the 18, early 1900s for, uh, for a girl, especially. Um, but she was able to go to school at the local temple school. Um, at the time, it's very, it was very common for most of the, what we think of as elementary primary schools. They were largely run at Buddhist temples. Not exclusively, but a lot of them, especially out if you're out in the kind of rural areas, you're probably going to a school run by Buddhist monks. And anyway, so yeah, Noe, she went to one of these schools near her house, and she graduated at age 14, and she started work at the local post office to help with the family's finances. Because remember, by that point, there are four younger siblings and while she worked at the post office, uh, which was a job she would end up doing for about nine months, um, she would also write poems and send them in to magazines trying to get published. So from a young age, we can already see she is a pretty literary young woman. And it was during this period, you know, she's about 14, maybe 15 at this point, and her aunt and uncle came back to visit Fukuoka from their home in Tokyo. And Noe, she apparently was kind of awestruck with the idea of Tokyo, and she managed to convince her uncle to pay for her to go to secondary school in Tokyo. Now, again, this is the very early 20th century, and at this point in Japanese history, girls going to school, you know, beyond, you know, what is the modern equivalent of junior high school, so kind of a second like a secondary school slash you know senior high school that kind of level girls going to school that level of school was not unheard of but it certainly wasn't something that all young women were afforded the opportunity opportunity to do so this would have put noi into something of an elite group for young women at the time so she went to Tokyo and she attended the Ueno Girls School. And it was here, you know, she really was able to continue growing her love of literature. And it was also at this school where she first really encountered progressive ideas, both Japanese and Western. And these progressive ideas really appealed to her. And so... She was seemingly really enjoying her time in Tokyo, getting her education, learning these new ideas, this being becoming a you know a very young budding progressive. 
but her family threw a bit of a monkey wrench into the works. So during Noy's second summer break in 1910, uh, when she would have been, I guess, I think 15 years old at this point, her family pressured her into marrying a local man who had just returned to Fukuoka from the U.S. Now, Noe wasn't terribly excited about this prospect of having to marry a stranger. Um, just a real quick side note. Uh, this is an era when arranged marriages were still very common in Japan. Um, they still happen sometimes, but it's very rare now. Um, but, you know, in the early 1900s, arranged marriage is still pretty common. And uh, also, um, a young woman, uh, I mean, girl really, getting married in her mid to late teens, not really weird at this point in time in Japan, pretty normal. Um, but yeah, anyway, so Noe's parents wanted her to marry this guy, uh, Suimatsu Fukutaro, as a condition for her to con- continue her higher education. Um. I mean, she didn't have to. She didn't have to marry him that summer, but it would be arranged that as soon as she graduated from this from the Ueno Girls School, she would go back to Fukuoka and get married to this uh, Suematsu guy, Suematsu Fukutaro, right? And so, you know, me sitting here and over a hundred years later, you know, this just seems whack. I'll say it. Um, but, you know, obviously, I can't judge the times based on modern ideals. I can just say, I'm glad I don't live in those times. But anyway, um, Noe, she really wanted to continue her education. So she did agree to the, you know, to the marriage after she finished school. Um, you know, and she kept her word. And... After graduating in 1912, she returned to Fukuoka to marry uh, Fukutaro. And they lived happily ever after. I mean, obviously, that's not what happened. Um, That's not a story worth telling. That wouldn't be a podcast episode. But she did, in fact, return to Fukuoka after graduating to marry her arranged husband, and she moved into his family's house. Like I think it was like the next town over from where her family lived. It was it was it was a pretty close by area. But anyway, so she moved into Fukutaro's uh, family's house, and she stayed there for all of eight days. When she ran away, back to Tokyo, and she just wasn't here for the whole you know be a good wife life that her family was expecting for her. Um, Remember, I I mentioned she was getting into progressive ideas, right? And one of those progressive ideas, feminism. And an arranged marriage and subjugating herself to her husband just wasn't on her menu. So she pulled a runner and moved back to Tokyo and married her former teacher from Ueno Girls School. Well, okay then. Now, I'm not here to cast dispersions on anyone. Um, this is just a bit, you know, it's almost like it's out of a slightly ridiculously unbelievable movie script or something. Um, but 
yeah, Noe decided that she would rather be in Tokyo, you know, this cultural, economic, everything center of Japan, than be in Fukuoka, which, you know, despite, you know, this is the, Fukuoka is and was the largest metropolitan area of Kyushu, which is, you know, kind of out in the far southwest of Japan. I mean, it was a biggish city, but it was still something of a cultural backwater. And back in Tokyo, the teacher that she hooked up with, um, he was a man named Tsuji Jun. And he was a lot of things that are, you know, and he was a lot of things that probably appealed to this progressive young woman that Noe had become. So Tsuji Jun was, among other things, a poet, a playwright, an essayist, a translator, a Dadaist, a nihilist, an Epicurean, a Shakuhachi musician, an actor, a bohemian, and an anarchist. Quite a guy himself, but apparently Noe had grown, she had grown quite fond of June when, you know, she pulled a runner and head back to Tokyo. Um, so she moved in with June, and this caused something of a stir. Uh, he was still working at the school that she had just graduated from. And at first, they weren't yet married. And June, he eventually, he, he ended up quitting his job at the school, at the girls' high school. And the two of them would go on to have two kids. And one of the kids was definitely before they were legally married. And the other one was the same year that they were legally married. So at the very least, the second kid was conceived before they were officially married. And all of this certainly caused at least a little fuss, you know, for obvious reasons, if you know about the time and place that had happened. It was also during this time that Noe first got involved with the blue stocking movement. Now, the Blue Stockings were a group of Japanese women uh, who took their name from, they, they took the Blue Stockings name from the 18th century English Society of Educated Intellectual Women. In the early 20th century Japan, the Blue Stockings ran a magazine called Seito, which is literally translates to Blue Stockings, and it was headed by a woman named um, Hiratsuka Raicho, and you might see it transliterated sometimes, Rai Teru, Teu, the Raicho, uh, because of historical orthography. Wee! Um, anyway, it's properly pronounced Raicho. So, um, yeah, Hiraka, Hira, Hiratsuka, Hiratsuka Raicho. So, Raicho, she was a Japanese writer, journalist, political activist, anarchist, and pioneering feminist in Japan. So the exact type of person that you would expect Noe to look up to, given the political direction that she, that Noe herself, was trending when she was in school. So Noe, she officially joined the anarcho-feminist magazine staff, because it is an anarcho-feminist magazine, in 1915. And eventually she became the editor-in-chief. Um, and Noe at this point, like she's only like 20, 21 years old, so... You know, this is, you know, moves up pretty quickly and does this stuff. And it was during her time as editor-in-chief that she pushed the magazine to be even more 
progressive and open. Now, this is, um, according to Sharon Seavers, uh, who wrote a book called Flowers in Salt, The Beginnings of Feminist Consciousness in Modern Japan. Um, according to Seavers, during the year she edited the magazine, she introduced a number of interesting debates on women's questions, stating that in the absence of, absence of firm new bylaws, she meant to make Blue Stocking a journal for all women operating without regulations, without direction, and without ideology. Ito opened the pages to extended discussions of abortion, prostitution, and motherhood. So, you know, she's pretty open to this kind of... She's a good progressive. Now, Noe was also the editor at the time when five different editions of the magazine were banned by the government for threatening the koktai. Uh, koktai is a Japanese term that you know, especially at this point in history, uh, meant something like national identity, essence, and character. Um, it can also mean um, system of government, something like that. So, you know, kind of pretty, you know, nationalist kind of thing that was pretty common in the early 20th century in a lot of parts of the world. Um, but yeah, koktai. So a lot of the five, at least five, editions of the magazine were banned for threatening the koktai. Now, what were the offenses? Well, let's go through them one by one. They're not that long, so we'll do this. So, one, a short story Ito had published titled Shuppon, which means flight, as in fleeing from somewhere, so flight, uh, about a young woman who escapes from an arranged marriage and is then betrayed by her lover, who promises to escape with her from Japan. Now, maybe somewhat autobiographical. I mean, at least possible that that is the case. Uh, so that was the first one. Two, an article calling for abortion to be legalized in Japan. Because at this time, it was not, it was not legal. Um, three, an erotic short story where a woman happily remembers having sex the previous night. Because I guess... Only dudes get to be happy about sex or something. Um, anyway, uh, four, a short story dealing with the breakup of an arranged marriage. Hmm, notice a theme. Five, an article titled The Women of the World Calling for Women to Marry for Love. Hmm. Now, nothing in that list is anything that would shock any normal person in 2023, uh, but this was the early, early 20th century in a pretty rigid, very hierarchical, patriarchal society. So, you know, shocking, I guess, um, right? A woman might not be interested in an arranged marriage. Women can have sex for fun and enjoy it. And, you know, they might want to or need to have abortions. Hmm, well, I mean, I guess that last one is still causing hissy fits. And, you know, for some people, um, I won't call them mean names. So, uh, you know, you can do that yourself. But I'll just think the mean names in my head. Anywho. Oh, uh, so just a, this is just a quick side note. I really didn't have nowhere else to, you know, include this little bit. Um, so I'm just going to shove it in here, just kind of 
ram it in here and jam it in here with no real rhyme nor reason. Um, but anyway, so Noe also used the magazine to raise awareness of the ecological disaster happening in Ashio, which is the site of one of Japan's biggest and oldest copper mines, which is up near Nikko and Tochigi, in case you're interested. Um, Ashio is on my list of stories to talk about someday, uh, but it is a big, huge, sprawling story with like different parts in different centuries. Um, so maybe after I retire from my regular job, so what, that's another 20 some odd years from now. So, Hey, there's something to look forward to in what, 2045 or something. There's a, there's a podcast episode coming out, whatever podcasts look like at that time. But anyway, yeah. Seito blue stockings. Yes. Um, the magazine. So there's a lot more that we could discuss, um, like the debate between Noe and another feminist named Yamakawa Kikue about whether or not prostitution should be legalized. And both women were making very good arguments for their positions. Um, Noe was, you know, in favor of legalizing it, and Kikue was uh, for keeping it illegal, uh, but not for moral reasons, right? She wasn't morally against prostitution, but her arguments were based on feminist arguments about the reasons prostitution exists in the first place and it were it to be legalized, how it would be regulated by a bunch of old men in political office. But, I mean, this is a discussion that I don't feel well-versed enough to talk about, and it would also add a lot of extra time to what's already going to be a pretty long episode. So, um, you know, and that would also kind of get us away from our main focus. But if you are curious and want to just kind of read a bare-bones explanation, um, check out the pages, the Wikipedia pages. They'll give you just the basics. Um, for Ito Noe and Yamakawa Kikue. Um, like I say, interesting debate and, you know, both sides of the argument from a feminist perspective, from an early 20th century feminist perspective. Um, you know, and some of the some of this debate went on in the pages of Seito, the magazine that Noe was the pub editor-in-chief of. Um, unfortunately, the publication ran out of money in 1916. Uh, largely, not entirely, but largely because the government prevented shops from selling it, so there's no income, so boo. Boo on that. It was also around the same time the magazine was kind of coming to an end, Noe became involved with another man who happened to be a fairly well-known radical anarchist named Osugi Sakae. Now, a brief side note, um, Osugi Sakae, he created the first Esperanto school in Japan in 1906. Esperanto, which is the most widely spoken synthetic language, was oddly popular in East Asia in the late 1800s, early 1900s. So, uh, yeah, anyway, uh, Noe, she went and got involved with the man who began Japan's first Esperanto school. I mean, obviously, he was a lot more than just that. Uh, he also translated some very important Western anarchist literature into Japanese. 
Um, Noe herself had done some of the same. Just, you know, most of the people in this story are polyglots, right? They speak multiple languages pretty well, like well enough to translate. So anyway, um, so yeah, Noe, she had not yet divorced her former teacher and, you know, hus- husband, Suji Jun, right? She actually never divorced Jun, um, but she got involved with this new guy, Sakae. And while this was not a major point in most of these people's, you know, ideology, a lot of them did adhere to, I mean, at least nominally, they adhered to the free love movement. So polyamory wouldn't have been too strange within their small community, right? At least out in the in the wider world, yes, it was strange, but in their small community, it probably wasn't really that weird, um, or at least didn't really probably turn that many heads. Um, though, at least according to the com the most common version of the story, it didn't really work out in practice. So, like I said, Noe she was still married to Tsuji Jun. And Osugi Sakai, he was also married to another woman named Hori Yasuko. But all the same, Noe and Sakai, they started a relationship. Oh yeah, and Sakai, he was also seeing one more woman who happened to be another feminist named um, Kamichika Ichiko. Now, Sakai claimed that he was testing out the idea of free love and all partners male or female, right, or whatever, had complete freedom in sexual matters, or at least that's what he, you know, said. Anyway, the next, the next bit of the story is a little bit murky, um, with a couple of not completely, completely different versions, but some of the details, there, there are conflicting details. So I will lay out the differing claims as best I can, and, you know, you can decide what you want to think about it. So, it is 1916, right? Sakai, he is, you know, he was still married to Yasuko, but also dating Noe and Ichiko. So, he's got his wife and two girlfriends, basically. And according to one telling of the story, Ichiko tried to break up, she tried to break it off with Sakai pretty much as soon as he started seeing Noe. Um... You know, I guess she was cool, you know, sleeping with a married man, but a married man with, you know, one ex, you know, with two girlfriends, you know, wasn't cool, at least in this version of the story or something. Um, Anyway, I I don't know. Um, But apparently, Sakai, he seemed to like Noe the most of all the women he was with. Um, At least that's one one version of it. Another version is that despite his talk, you know, of everyone, regardless of gender relationship to one another should avoid co because he was, he was for free love, but also that in included complete independence. And so, you know, everyone should avoid cohabitation to retain complete independence of their comings and goings. Um, you know, you know, even though he said all of that, 
And this is, again, one version, even though he said all that, you know, complete independence, no cohabitation. When the magazine shut down, Noe was without any source of income, really. And Sakai, I guess, let her live at his place. Again, this is the, that ver one version of it. Um, and so was she his favorite girl? I don't know. Uh, you know, that was his, Noe was Sakai's favorite girlfriend, but maybe he was just being nice because she needed a place to stay. It's not, it's, it's a little bit unclear, but anyway, one day Noe and Sakai were out in a park in Tokyo and they were holding hands and even kissed in public, which was kind of a big deal. I mean, kissing in Japan in public is still... I won't say it's a big deal, but it is at least a mediumly moderate-sized deal. Um, I mean, even to this day, you don't see a lot of PDA, not a lot of public displays, public displays of affection in Japan. Um, so, I mean, today, no one would probably say anything to a couple who kissed in public, um, they might talk about it to their friends and family and say, do you see those people out in the park? They were kissing in public. But, um, you know, you wouldn't say anything to the couple in this time, you know, this day in, in 2023. But, uh, you know, apparently in 1916, people did say something to Noi and Sakai, you know, telling them to get a room or, you know, something to that effect. Um, Anyway, um, so according to one version of this story, after his outing with Noi, Sakai went to see Ichiko later that day, and he told her about his PDA with another woman, which seems a weird thing to tell your other girlfriends. Like, hey, I kissed my other girlfriend in the park today. What? Okay. It seems a weird thing to tell your other girlfriend that you kissed. I'm, I'm just a little confused, but whatever. I mean... If that's what floats your boat, do it. Good for you. Um, but yeah, obviously Sakai, she wasn't thrilled to hear that. Um, and Noi had apparently followed Sakai to Ichiko, Ichiko's place because she wanted to see him again later that day. But apparently she decided to make a scene of it because she kind of heard, kind of overheard some of the conversation or something like one of the versions of one of the things I saw said she was kind of listening through the door or something like that. And so, you know, I, it's compli like I say, it's complicated, but anyway, Noi decides that she's going to knock on the door, go in and make a scene of it. And a big argument allegedly broke out about who loves Sakai more. And Sakai, he was saying he loved all the women in his life equally. I mean, sure, whatever, whatever you got to say, you know, if it, maybe it was true, I don't know. Anywho, things finally came to a boil in November of 1916 when Ichiko stabbed Sakai in the throat uh, when he was in a town called Hayama. Uh, there we go. He was in a town called Hayama, which is in Kanagawa Prefecture. And um, Sakai and Noe had apparently stayed together at an inn in the town. And Ichiko, apparently in a jealous rage, 
or at least, you know, according to one version of the story, she was in a jealous rage. She stabbed Sakai again in the throat. And I mean, if she had really been trying to break things off with him, you know, from the start, maybe, maybe it wasn't jealousy. Maybe it was frustration. I don't know. Um, and if she was really trying to break things off, why wasn't she able to? It's like I say, the details are a little bit muddled and murky. I don't know what the exact story is, but she really did stab him in the throat after Sakai and Noe had stayed in an inn down in Kanagawa. Um, but yeah, Ichiko, she would go on, be she was charged and convicted for the attack and would end up serving two years for it. And Sakai, he, you know, he survived and he ended up in hospital to recover. Um, and his wife, because remember, he was still married to Yasuko, she finally left him while he's, you know, doing his recovery in the hospital. And this finally left Sakai and Noe as de facto husband and wife. Although they were never officially married and Noe never officially divorced her, her other husband, Suji Jun. Um, I mean, this whole incident, you know, it made the news. And it was used to call the broader socialist movement depraved sex fiends. You know, this doesn't sound at all familiar in any way, does it? Nope, not at all. Sorry. No, no, no. Okay, you know, we're, we're not going to get into that discussion. You know, you can figure out the connections on your own. But this incident was used to paint the general left movement of Japan as kind of depraved and morally bankrupt. So anyway, Noe, Sakai, they would go on with their leftist work together. And Noe gave birth to five kids, which is, you know, would be seven total that she gave birth to in her life. Um, I remember two with her first, with her, her second husband, because she did marry the dude, dude man back in, back in Fukuoka, but ran after eight days. Um, no, no, didn't have a kid in eight days. Um, but two kids with, with June and then five with Sakai. Uh, and with Sakai, total four girls and one boy. I think with June, I think it was two boys. Um, so this, and the names are actually kind of interesting, the, the five kids. So I'm going to share them here. And what I had, I'm guessing are the origins of most of them. One of them is for sure, but I, uh, the other four, I think I know the origins. I think I figured it out because they're kind of interesting. So the first born between Noi and Sakai, though, because I, like I say, the third Noi's third kid overall, um, but the first between Noi and Sakai was uh, a daughter named Mako. Now the characters that are used to write Mako her official name, include a character that I do not think is legally allowed for a kid's name today. The character, the Ma character, is the character for devil or demon. The reasoning for this was that Noe had be, had, she had been called Akuma, no, she'd be called Akuma, which means an evil demon by the press. And so she and Sakai, she took the ma from Akuma and used it for their first daughter's official name, kind of as a big F you to the, to their critics. Um, 
but I mean, in practice, I mean, the, the, that, the, the demon character in the name, the character that was her official Mako was official name, but in practice and daily use, they used another character that meant Ma. So she didn't always have to write, you know, uh, her name is De- demon child. Um, now, so that, that's the first kid between Sakai and Noe. Now, the next two are a bit confusing. So the second and third daughters of Noe and Sakai were both named Emma. Which was odd for a couple of reasons. Um, one, you have two daughters only a year apart with the same name. And as far as I can tell... It's not a case of, you know, one kid died in infancy, so they replaced her with another kid with the same name. I don't think that's what was going on here. Um, I think they just had two daughters named Emma. But it's also weird because, well, Emma is a name that you occasionally see now in Japan. You know, there are kanji characters that work with it and everything. This is 2023 I'm talking about. But in the, you know, back in the early 1900s, Emma was not a common name in Japan, especially when written in katakana, uh, which is a Japanese script that is often used for loan words, for foreign words. Um, my best guess as to the origin of the Emma name is Emma Goldman, who was a prominent Russian anarchist. There you go, anarchist. And uh, Noe had translated several of Emma Goldman's works into Japanese for the magazine. So I think that's where the name comes from. Now, the two Emmas, Noe's two Emmas, had nicknames that were much more common Japanese names, um, Sachiko and Eiko. Uh, so those are that's daughters two and three. Then there was the fourth daughter, uh, Louise. Again, not a common Japanese name at all. And I think Louise was probably named for Louise Michel, a prominent French anarchist. Who the, the Louise Michel was probably the originator of the black flag that anarchists still use to this day. Now, Noé's Noe and Sakai's daughter, Louise, she would usually go by the name Dui, which is actually just a shortening of her non, pretty non-standard Japanese name into a pretty fairly common Japanese name, like a name that works in Japanese, even if it wasn't super common in the early 1900s. Um, so yeah, that, that, so that's daughter number four. And then finally, there was Nestor. Noe and Sakai's fifth kid and only son. And I'm betting that he was probably named for Nestor Makno, who was a Ukrainian anarchist. Um, So yeah, I'm pretty sure Noe and Sakai, they were pretty dedicated to the cause of anarchism. Let's get back into that cause a little bit. So Noe called for anarchism in everyday practice. I mean, basically, she called on everyone to fuck with the system in little ways. 
she was not a fan of the Japanese tendency to defer to the state and accept that the emperor was in some way divine. I mean, shocking, I know, for an anarchist to believe these sorts of things. Um, you know, pretty pretty standard anarchist th thinking. Um, and not surprisingly, pretty standard for the police. They monitored Noe and Sakai pretty closely. She stated at some point that her home was more or less a prison, and she couldn't even leave the house without the police stopping her. It was also during this time that Bertrand Russell, the British philosopher, mathematician, and general leftist, um, he visited Japan during his... He, he had taken a year to lecture in China, and it was during this time he came to visit Japan as well. And Bertrand and his not-wife wife, Dora, again, another kind of... They, they were together, but they never officially married, I think. But so Bertrand and Dora came to Japan and they met Noe. And Dora asked Noe, are you not afraid the authorities will do something to you? And Noe did the old throat being slowly slashed with her finger with you know, the gesture, you know, you do cross your neck. someone, And she said in English, because uh, remember, she was fluent in English because of, you know, all these people were fluent in multiple languages and translated stuff and whatnot. And she said to Dora after being asked, are you not afraid the authorities will do something to you? Did the, did the throat slashing gesture and said, I know they will do that sooner or later. Okay, she allegedly said that. Um, I mean, this is at least according to Bertrand's recollection of the meeting. Um, possible? Sure, I mean, it's possible that she said that. Is it possibly apocryphal? That's also entirely possible. Uh, good anecdote? Absolutely. And if it really did happen that way, it was incredibly prophetic. Which brings us to September 1923. The Great Kanto Earthquake. Now, I've talked in, you know, in other episodes about uh, the Great Kanto Earthquake, you know, so go back and check, you know, check that out for all the details. I think I was, I was focused on the uh, the massacre, the Great uh, Kanto Mass, the earthquake massacre that happened after the earthquake. Um, but I'll you know I'll just give you a quick recap of the important events here. Um, so the first day of September 1923, right before lunch, so all the kitchen fires are going. Massive earthquake rocks Tokyo, causing landslides, tsunamis, fires, um, over. 100,000 people dead, bare minimum. That's the absolute low estimate, probably more. Uh, violence erupts following the earthquake. Again, not really that surprising. Um, happens a lot after big uh, disasters, um, especially in this era. And uh, so violence erupts, and it was targeting ethnic Koreans um, as well as leftists, uh, but primarily ethnic Koreans, over the false rumors that ethnic Koreans were poisoning wells and other such BS. Um, and it was in the midst of all of this that the cops decided to use the chaos as a cover to eliminate a lot of leftists. Now, the BS reason for the arrest is, was that a lot of leftists and anarchists um, were planning to use the chaos that followed the earthquake and massacre of Koreans 
to cover the uh, uh, they're using it as cover to begin their plot to overthrow the government. And I'm sure that a lot of anarchists and and like so radical socialists wouldn't have minded the disaster leading to the downfall of the imperial government of Japan. But I haven't seen anything to suggest that they actually had plans to do that thing. And so Ito Noe and Osugi Sakai were two of these dangerous individuals who were swept up by the police in all the chaos. And for some reason, um, Sakai's six-year-old nephew, Tachiban Shuichi, um, wait, I, I mean, what? Six-year-old? He was also arrested? I, I mean, I guess I'm not really that surprised, but, um, you know, yeah. The guy in charge of the arrest of two anarchists and a six-year-old child was the military police lieutenant, Amakas Masahiko. Repeat, two adults and a six-year-old child. Just want to throw six-year-old child. Just want to throw that out there. Um, so these two adults and a six-year-old child were not given a trial of any sort, or even a chance to be, you know, to present any sort of defense. The same day they were arrested, the military police beat the two adults and a six-year-old child, strangled them to death, and threw them in a well. You know, and it's not like Noi and Sakai would have been able to, you know, argue their way out of a conviction in court. Had it gone to trial, you know, they would have been convicted and sentenced to death. Because, you know, it would have been a kangaroo court, but at least it would have been a trial to give the government some plausible deniability. But this, no, there's no plausible deniability at all. Um they didn't like say they didn't even get an illegitimate court trial, you know. Uh, but yeah, at least, you know, the beating, strangling and dumping two adult anarchists and a six year old child down a well, at least it did spark some outrage in the public. I say some, not not tons, but some outrage. Um, it even, you know, uh, it registered enough that a letter of complaint from the U.S. Embassy was sent um, because this six-year-old nephew had an American passport. Not exactly sure why. Uh, born in the U.S., possibly. Because, um, do you remember this intellectual circle? A lot of them are traveling to other countries. So I'm, I'm, I'm guessing Osugi's family also had some, some leftists and things in it, you know, maybe going to other places. I don't know. For some reason... Uh, you know, Tachiman Shuichi, he had a U.S. passport. Um, and so the U.S. embassy in Tokyo sent a letter of protest. Um, but anyway, at any rate, Hamakas Masahiko, the uh, military police lieutenant, he was convicted and sentenced to 10 years for the incident, but he only served three. Um, there was a general amnesty announced when the new uh, emperor was a uh, ascended the throne in uh, 26, I guess it was. Um, but anyway, I, I don't want to give this guy too much airtime because he's a horrible person. Um, but on the bright side, he at least, he committed suicide at the end of World War II. Um, so at least, you know, 
that's well, it's about as much as you could hope for for someone who did something horrible like that. Um, yeah, pretty. Yeah, not bleh. not a happy story. Not a happy story. Um, the bodies of Ito Noe, Osugi Sakai, and Tachiman Shuichi were all recovered from the well and at least were given proper burials. Um, today, you can find a single gravestone for all three, um, for Noe, Sakai, and the young Shuichi, in the city of Shizuoka. Unfortunately, the anarchists and leftists were pretty well driven underground in Japan um, throughout the remainder of the 20s and 30s. And, you know, this is in the lead up to some pretty horrible parts of Japanese imperialism and all the horrible stuff that come, you know, came along with that. So, yeah, that's, uh, sorry, it's kind of a downer of an ending. Um, but I thought that Ito Noe's story and, you know, to a lesser extent, Osugi Sakai's story was worth telling. Noe was only 28 years old when she was murdered by the police. She had had seven kids by that point. She was the editor-in-chief of a shortly, you know, very short-lived but pretty influential radical women's magazine. You know, and she was also part of a crazy love quadrilateral and was just a pretty incredibly, you know, strong and interesting woman. And that is where I think we will leave it for today. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast wherever it is that you cast your pods. Um, the podcast is available pretty much anywhere. Um, don't forget you can like over on Twitter. Uh, you can follow as well. Uh, go to just at just another cast on Twitter. Um, you know, Twitter may may blow up pretty soon, but who knows? Uh, you can also email the show at just another jerk podcast at gmail.com. And you can find all the information um, on the website, which is still really, really in development. Uh, but tinyurl.com slash jerkpod. And that is all for me. I am Jonathan Isaacson, and I'm out. Peace.